Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I am talking about de-escalating yourselves. Ooh, I can't wait. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Parenting Post-Wilderness, your guide to parenting struggling teens. I'm your host, Beth Hillman, a mom of five boys, including a post-wilderness teen and a life coach for parents. I will guide you on how to influence lasting change by first understanding the relationship-changing power of focusing on your own behavior instead of futile attempts to control your teens. Parents, the change begins with us. Hey parents, it's just me today, and uh, I just feel like... I want to share some of my own experiences in de-escalating myself, <laughs> um, trying to uh, or, or trying to regulate my emotions. I think it's something that I have. Well, one, I had no idea that I could do it. I I don't think I even had an idea that it was it was a possible human trait. Um, I know that sounds kind of silly, but. Um, my dad had a lot um, of anger issues, and uh, my mom was actually pretty even keel. So, but I just for some reason didn't think it was available to me because probably because I I hadn't experienced it myself. But as I've learned tools, um, the ones that I'm want to share with you, um, it has been. <laughs> uh, revolutionary <laughs> to uh to be able to witness one's sorry <laughs> one's own journey um i'm just uh, sort of off the cuff today but i have felt that i wanted to share a few things with you one a couple years ago Right when we had moved back to Utah, so our son who went to wilderness had just graduated high school and early, by the way, which was his his own accomplishment. Yes, we had boundaries. Yes, we held them, (laughs) followed through. Um, We did weekly check-ins. Well, we just did them like a boss man, and it was so hard. But we did them, and that weekly check-in was so brief. that's not what I was going to talk about weekly check-ins, but um, give you just to get, tell you what it was. It was literally on Sunday, like mid morning, and let me tell you, every single time I would have huge anxiety because uh, there was a lot of PTSD, you know, from just having conversations with our son. And uh, my husband did not participate in their weekly check-ins, uh, mostly just because they were so quick, and it just was something I just we agreed, like, hey, you know what, you do that, you got, you got it, and that was fine. So I would go downstairs where he was typically playing a game. <laughs> And I would say, okay, so where are you, you know, with homework? And at this time, he did have a tutor. He was a senior. And he was doing some classes online. He was doing some classes at the school in order to catch up from that failed sophomore. He failed out of his entire sophomore year. And so um, he's the one who wanted to graduate early. It was his doing. It was it was his desire. Of course, could never have been mine. And um, this weekly check-in was like, Okay. And it was, I didn't take his word for it. I just said, okay, pull it up. And he would put it, pull up whatever it was, Skyward or whatever it was called. Um, and I would find out, 
you know, what was turned in, what was not turned in, what the teacher had that she hadn't graded, which was tricky. Yes, that's so tricky to figure out like, well, is that turned in or is it not? Or does my kid actually have it in their, not their folder because there was no folders, but like in their computer or maybe, you know, they're lying to me or whatever. That's really tricky. Um, this was a lot of online school. And so I could absolutely find out if he had turned anything in or not. It was just like right there, which was very handy. And we would look at it together, basically in silence. And I'd say, okay. I I didn't have to say anything. I mean, it was right there what he had to still turn in. And we had made a plan before that. So it was just very, very quick check-ins. And then he couldn't hang out. He couldn't go anywhere. He didn't have access to the car or, um, friends until he got his work done every week. And that's just the schedule we were on. So that was weekly check-in. <laughs> um, but what had happened is that was a little side note, wasn't it? Um, he had graduated early and I was, we were really, he was very proud of himself and we were also very proud of him. And we moved back to Utah and just a whole bunch of circumstances happened. So we moved back to our old house and within about a month, we started to receive letters from lawyers. <laughs> I was like, why? Are there letters from lawyers coming? Like we've never gotten letters, right? Ads for lawyers, all this stuff. I said to my husband, what? What's going on? He's like, I don't know. That's weird. Like maybe because we just moved back. I'm like, uh-uh, something's something happened. And so we waited. And at this point, so our son was about home about a month. And like I said, he graduated. This was right in 2020, right, by the way, right? Right when COVID hit. So he graduated. And I'm not kidding when I say COVID, like, everything shut down two days later. We moved that very weekend and it was just nuts. It was nuts. Um, So he had gotten a job um, crabbing on the Oregon coast for a while. So he had been home. He was home for about a month and a half or maybe even a month and then he was gone. So this was after he had just left to the Oregon coast having graduated early. So we were hanging out and we started getting all these letters from lawyers, just like ads. I'm like, something's something is afoot. And uh, we only had to wait a few more weeks and a letter came from the court. And since our son was not there and I knew something had happened, yes, I did. I opened his mail. Um, Please don't report me to the feds. So I opened his letter and started to read a subpoena for him. And he had um, broken and entering and uh, was getting charged with like four or five different things, including possession and all of, of substances, and just just so so disappointing. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so disappointing. And um, I was hurt, disappointed, furious. I was shocked. I was so mad. Everything came flooding back, right? Um, like, and he he had been eighteen at this point for about four months, and he shockingly had not been involved with the um, police before that. And so, of course, I have thoughts like, "Really, now, now that you're eighteen, now you decide to get caught or whatever." It was very, very dysregulating to me, as you can imagine. You guys have all been through many things, some of just something like that. So. I knew I was dysregulated and I knew that if I called him then I would have been very blamey, very upset. You know, you did this. What are you going to just very, very accusatory, threatening, 
I would have laid it all out. And I knew that that was not going to be helpful. And because it was COVID, the date was months and months and months away. So I had a bit of time and I realized that, which I know not everybody has some time. And my brain wanted to make it a crisis, but I, I resisted that idea. I knew that I need to become regulated before I basically did anything else. <laughs> so what I did is I started to go on walks. And you can walk or run or you can do countless of activities that feel like you're maybe processing some emotions or maybe are cathartic to you or something like that. But what you what I did and what I am suggesting that you do is you really need to intentionally feel while you're trying to process something. And this is it looks as simple as this. I am feeling so angry and that's okay. I am feeling disappointed and it's okay. I am feeling like I don't know what to do and that's okay. I'm feeling like I'm going to wring his neck and that's okay. And you try to keep it emotional. You try to keep it to emotions like disappointment, anger, frustration. But I get it. The thoughts seep in like wring his neck. That's a thought, not a feeling, right? Well, like, I get it. It's going to be both. <laughs> so I would well, go for walks. I, I, at this point, went for at least one walk a day, if not two walks a day. And I have like a four and a half mile loop. You can just walk down the street, you know, walk back in, whatever you got to do. The idea is to acknowledge your feelings. That is how you regulate yourself. You recognize the feeling. That's as simple as I feel sad. I feel mad. I feel so frustrated. I feel disappointed. I feel betrayed, right? And you want to say I feel and then then the emotional word. It's a three-word sentence. That is how you de- that's the beginning of de-escalation for yourself, okay? Or for others, right? So I know we just posted an episode recently about de-escalating your teen, and, and this really is dis- de-escalating yourself. So you you say the sentence, I feel disappointed. Then the allowance part, which is so important, you recognize, then you allow. And then allowances, and it's okay. I feel mad, and it's okay. Because while I'm walking, or if you're working out, or if you're um, meditating or, or any kind of functional processing, um, you know, that's somewhat good for you, that actually helps you process. Um, unlike buffering, which would be, you know, drinking or shopping, over shopping or overeating or over exercising, that's all buffering. But to but it does help to move your body while you're processing. So walking can be wonderful, working out, swimming, um, playing pickleball, whatever it is. But the crucial part, so the somatic part, the physical part is extremely important, but so is the process of de-escalation, which is recognizing what it is you're feeling, allowing it, which is saying it's okay, investigating that feeling. Now, that investigation is in your body. It's a somatic investigation. It's not what are the thoughts in my head creating the feeling. That's important. But while you're trying to de-escalate, it's a body experience because your emotions are held in your body, like from your neck down. 
that's science. It's it's not, you know, hoodoo, voodoo, hoodoo, whatever you call it. It's that's not what it is. That is real science. Our emotions are processed in our bodies. So we want to create a somatic experience for ourselves. So I feel mad and it's okay. Then I do a quick little body scan. Uh, sometimes I imagine like a warm waterfall or just a little, just close your eyes. It It is a it's kind of an imagery type thing. And you just scan your body. And a lot of times my anger will be in my gut. I find that anger and I breathe with it. To me, what I've been taught, the best breathing technique is four breaths in, to a count of four, sorry, like till you four, and then you exhale uh, to a count of eight. So breathe in for four, breathe out twice as long or to an eight. And you're going to be there with that anger, wherever it is. It could be intenseness in your shoulders or um, your heart might hurt or your gut, whatever it is where you feel it, there's no right or wrong answer. And you go to that feeling and you breathe with it in for four, out for eight, in for four, out for eight. This is so helpful. You can also, while you're investigating it in your body, you can also give it a color. There is no right or wrong answer. It doesn't have to be red. It can be what, you know, like anger, people think anger is red. It could be red. It could not be red, whatever. And you can give it a color. You can give it a shape, a texture. The idea is that you are with the feeling instead of resisting or avoiding or reacting from it, okay? You're with the feeling. It's just amazing. And then you just have compassion for yourself while you are feeling mad. Because guess what? Every present feeling is worth your time. That is something that I had to say on that walk over and over and over again to myself. Every present feeling is worth my time. It's absolutely okay. I'm feeling angry. I have every right to feel disappointed. I'm okay with my feelings. And I just repeated this over and over in my head. And parents, I want you to know sometimes this works quick, quickly, and sometimes it doesn't. And this particular time, because of my brain's uh, concern about what this would do with our family or with our son, you know, is he going to go to jail? Like I had no idea what was going to happen. I walked and walked and walked for six weeks, six weeks, twice a day. And I just kept saying, I kept feeling my feelings by saying, I feel disappointed and it's okay. Find it in my body, have compassion for myself, and then I would move on. And when my brain would start to go to trying to solve or decide, what are we going to, you know, I mean, of course I was, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, how are we going to hire lawyers? This is not something I've ever done. I just was so concerned. I would bring it back. I feel scared. It's okay. I feel scared. The scared is in my heart. Breathe, exhale, inhale, exhale, have compassion for my scared. That is what I did over and over and over and over. And then I would also ask myself, what is my part here? Obviously, my son had a part to play because he it was he broke an entering some he had some kind of paraphernalia or substance with him. Da 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 da. Right, there was stuff that my son um, 
there was facts that my son had done. But what is what was my part? What is my part? I didn't do any of that, right? What was my part? What was my part? And I just kept feeling it because I was feeling so wrapped up in it, as as many of you would, as all of you would. When your children make choices, tough choices, it's very, sometimes very, very difficult to separate. And so I thought, and I thought, and I thought, what's my part here? What's my part here? What's my part here? And what I finally, it was like, (laughs) I remember walking. I remember the corner I was coming around and I saw a pond that's by our house and it just clicked. This is not mine. That's what the epiphany was. What was my part? Well, I was the mom of a child who made some pretty, pretty poor decisions. That was my part. I didn't have anything to do with, you know, him choosing to to do those things. And I had to actually come to that realization. That seems so like kind of obvious and quite shocking. But many of us, many of us parents uh, tend to take too much responsibility for our children's actions or think that we need to rescue them, save them, fix it, all this stuff. And so my six week (laughs) revelation was, this is not mine. I did not do it. And therefore, it is not mine to solve. That was my epiphany. And it was huge. When I realized that, much dissipated for me. I became much more regulated. Now, I still had concerns for my son. I absolutely. And and how and when we were possibly going to be involved or not. And that was appropriate. But But before that, I was taking most of it on. I was so like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh my gosh. It just was a mess in my head. So once I realized my part was a supporting role, oh, what? And then I started to ask different questions. Oh, what is he going to do? What options does he have? Do you see? I started to understand in my brain that it was his and not mine. So when I realized, so I I started to regulate and um, I realized at that point I had let go. I, I was very clear what was mine and what was his, and I was able to call him. Now, this is, I'm just telling you what happened, right? So yes, I held on to that information for six full weeks without telling him I did. So I called him one day and I said, hey, I have some pretty serious news. He's like, yeah, what? And I said, well, about six weeks ago, <laughs> we got a subpoena. You, you, you got a subpoena from you know the court to show up. He flipped his lid, as you can imagine, just like I did. What? Da 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 da. That's that's just. Da. He started justifying, making excuses, all the stuff. And I thought, well, of course he's going to do that. He's dysregulated. That is hard news. And so I said kindly, "Hey, I know this is very hard news. I'm going to go ahead and hang up, and please call me when you've calmed down." Because he was yelling. Now, was he yelling at me? No. But guess what? If I had called him before that dysregulated, I would have thought he was yelling at me and I probably would have yelled back. 
But because I waited to regulate myself first, then I knew this isn't personal. He is not mad at me. He is mad at himself. And I know it. Even though he may have been blaming me, right? There might have been a few blames in there, like six weeks, da da da. And then I could just own it. Like, yeah, I did. I waited six weeks. You're right. So, what happened after that is he called me after a few days and he's like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. And I said, I know. I actually don't know what to do either, but we're here for you. We care for you. Um, And let's start brainstorming. I said, I need to know what happened. And, you know, I wasn't there, so I'm not going to know if you lied or not, but the more honest you are with me, the more I can help you. And he was like, okay. So he told me, yes, I did that. Yes, I did that. No, I did not do that. And I said, okay. And I said, well, you're 18, so let's let's come up with a little bit of a plan. So I couldn't, thank goodness, I couldn't call the courthouse. I couldn't, I, they would not give me any information, right? And luckily not because that was his. And I said, well, this is what I think, you know, could be helpful. What do you think? And we just talked about it. And we came together. I did not take it over in any way. I also did not uh, abandon him at all, right? I played the supporting role. And it was probably one of the first times I did. And he called the courthouse and then he'd call me and tell me what they'd said. Okay, what what do you think about that? What would you like to do? And he was very dysregulated a lot of the times. But because I had regulated myself and was in a full supportive position, I could just then say, I know this sucks. This is very difficult. I'm so sorry. Even though he did it, I did not have to tell him, well, this is your bed and you're going to lie in it. Like none of that, (laughs) there was none of that needed or would have been helpful. He already knew. He was already feeling extremely guilty and he felt bad and all this stuff. I didn't have to do that. He has his own, he has his own um, thoughts and feelings, right? So we did, uh, you know, so we, because he um, wanted to, I guess, go against, because, you know, I did this, yes, yes, but I did not do that. Then we knew we needed to call lawyers. So my husband and I talked about it and we did, we offered to pay half of the lawyer fees. I'm only telling you this just as an example. You, of course, don't have to do any of this. I just want to help you see what's possible. Um you know, in your, in your parenting, this is just one, one of the options. We decided to split a lawyer fee between us. Um, we knew that it would be very difficult for our son to come up with that half. And, uh, we, we got recommendations. We, both my son and I interviewed the lawyer and then the interview, the lawyer told me, he's like, well, because he's 18, you will get zero information unless your son decides to tell you. I said, I understand. Even though I was paying for half, I said, I absolutely understand. And then the lawyer took it from there. I did not, uh, every once in a while I'd say, cause, um, you know, ended up that, um, because of COVID things just worked out and, um, he was, he was released from some of the charges, thank goodness. And then he had to own up to some of the charges and he had, had to take a class. I don't know what happened, but it all worked out and he was completely in charge of that. And every once in a while I'd say, you know, like, how's that going? Is everything okay? Do you need help with that? He's like, no, I've got it. Like, okay. Then I just let it go because I had learned and recognized that it was not mine. So that is just one example. I really have handfuls <laughs> of examples of having to do uh, de-escalate myself. Um, and it takes practice. And I want you to know, 
how hard (laughs) it can be, but it is possible. It is. And even if you're not explosive like I was, I like to say I'm a recovering yeller (laughs) or a recovering um, threatener, uh, that if you are on the other side of the coin, maybe you avoid or you ignore, that is still dysregulation. So remember that, right? Um, I know sometimes there's a lot of pride in not yelling, and I get that. But there's also, um, they're, they're the same, they're just different sides of the same coin, right? It's all dysregulation, whether you avoid or whether you yell. So humbly take that. And, and those who do tend to avoid or ignore have regulation to, to look at and, and think, how can I regulate? What does that look like for me? It probably looks like you stepping up and saying something. It's probably what it looks like. And I had to step down from yelling to saying something, right? So um, I hope that's helpful to you. I care so much about your pain and about your struggle because I get it. I really do. Take care, guys. Thanks. Hey there. Thank you for joining me today. If you know a struggling parent, please share this with them. If you have any questions or want to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Beth Hillman Coaching or through my website, BethHillmanCoaching.com. And remember, parents, the change begins with us.